Introducing Don Tell Tales Season 2, a podcast for hope, motivation, and inspiration. I am Lin, the host of Don Tell Tales. In each episode, I talk with inspiring talent from various fields to spill on their life experiences and give some good guidance in life for our listeners. Oh yes, I'm really excited about today because we have Janessa here to talk about eating disorder. A few months ago, I was actively searching for people with eating disorder, which they call ED in short. People with ED experience to come and talk, share their experience, and give some tips to overcome it. Then Shemin introduced me to Janessa Tan, who has been through eating disorder in her very early life, and here she is now, ready to shed some light on eating disorder. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to be part of today's session, and thank you so much, Honglin, for having me today on the Don't Tell Tale podcast. Let me just start off by introducing myself. My name is Janessa Tan. I'm a bachelor's in science with honors psychology graduate. I'm also a Les Mills RPM indoor cycling instructor, where I teach fitness classes off my university and work hours. Apart from that, I write about mental health and personal growth on my website, justjanessa.net, as well as my Instagram page, justjanessa. So feel free to check them out. Lastly, I'm an aspiring clinical psychologist, and I wish to. Educate and advocate for mental wellness in a holistic and sustainable manner. The voice you just heard is the special guest of Don't Tell Tales Season Two, Episode Two, Janessa, who has just given a brief introduction about herself. Thanks, Janessa. You are a psychology student. Well, can you explain in detail what is eating disorder? Basically, there are mental health conditions characterized by severe and persistent disturbances in eating behaviors, and usually they are associated with distressing thoughts and emotions. Taken together, eating disorders can affect up to five percent of the population. Most often, they develop in adolescence and young adulthood. While eating disorders like anorexia nervosa and bulimia nervosa are the most common among women, they can occur at any age and affect any gender. They are also associated with preoccupations with food, weight, or body shape, and they also feel anxiety around eating or worry about the consequences of eating certain foods. Behaviors associated with eating disorders include restrictive eating, avoidance of certain foods, binge eating. Purging by vomiting or laxative misuse, or compulsive exercise. As you can see, these behaviors are very much driven in ways that are similar to addiction disorders. Okay, as I know, there are a few types of eating disorder. Can you explain the differences between the different types of eating disorder? How about those symptoms? I would just like to cover that eating disorders affect several million people at any given time, and most often in women between the ages of 12 and 35. According to the American Psychiatry Association website, there are currently seven types of eating disorders. But the three more common types I'll be explaining today are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating disorder. Anorexia is an eating disorder characterized by self-starvation and weight loss, resulting in low weight for height and age. It has the highest mortality rate of any psychiatric diagnosis, next to opioid addiction. Body mass index or BMI. 
with a measure of weight or height is typically under 18.5 in an adult individual with anorexia. Dieting behavior is driven by an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat. Although some individuals with, individuals with anorexia will say that they want and are trying to gain weight, their behavior is rarely consistent with this intent. For example, they only eat small amounts of low caloric foods and exercise excessively after that. Some will also intermittently engage in binging or purging through vomiting, laxatives, or compulsive exercising. Over time, the following physical symptoms may develop as a result of these behaviors. First, in women, the menstrual cycle will begin to become irregular or even absent completely. Secondly, it is common to feel lightheaded or feeling like you're going to faint due to the low blood sugar and dehydration. One will also experience loss of hair and brittle nails, as well as hypothermia, which is cold intolerance, meaning your body feels cold all the time. The more severe symptoms include gastric issues like heartburn and acid reflux, and also stress fractures from compulsive exercise because of osteoporosis due to severe bone loss. Lastly, an individual may even result in fatalities if the behavior persists to that severity. In terms of emotional complications, these individuals are prone to have depression, anxiety, severe chronic fatigue, and also pure, poor concentration. The second most common eating disorder I'll be talking about is bulimia nervosa. Individuals struggling with bulimia typically alternate dieting or eating only low-caloric safe foods and then suddenly binge on forbidden high-caloric foods. It is defined as eating a large amount of food in a short period of time associated with a sense of loss of control over what or how much one is eating. Binge behavior is usually secretive and associated with feelings of shame or embarrassment. Food is also consumed very rapidly beyond fullness and to the point of nausea and discomfort. These binges occur at least weekly and are typically followed by what are called compensatory behaviors to prevent weight gain. So these compensatory behaviors include fasting, vomiting, laxative misuse or compulsive exercise. So similar to someone with anorexia nervosa, someone with bulimia is excessively preoccupied by thoughts of food, body weight or shape all of which negatively affect and disproportionately impact their self-worth. These individuals can be slightly underweight, normal weight, or overweight, or even obese, proving that eating disorders can happen at any weight and size, and it's not restricted to people who are very thin only. Family members and friends usually fail to notice an individual with this issue because they do not appear quote-unquote underweight and their behaviors are often hidden and often unnoticed by those close to them. Some signs and symptoms of people with bulimia include frequent tri trips to the bathroom after, right after meals, after eating large amount of food, to purge. They also disappear very often or there are unexplained empty wrappers around maybe the kitchen or around the house. They also tend to have chronic sore throats due to the swelling of the salivary glands in, in the cheeks. So dental decay also occurs due to the purging, as 
as well as heartburn and acid reflux as, and also the misuse of laxatives. Lastly, these, these people may also experience nausea or fainting due to dehydration and also low blood sugar from the excessive purging behaviors. And the third main type I'll be explaining today is called binge eating disorder. Similar to bulimia, people with binge eating disorder have episodes of binge eating in which they consume large quantities of food in a brief period of time. They also experience a sense of loss of control over their eating behaviors and are distressed by the binging behavior. However, unlike people with bulimia, they do not regularly use compensatory behaviors like purging or exercise to get rid of the food. Binge eating is chronic and often leads to serious health complications including obesity, diabetes, hypertension, and cardiovascular diseases. The diagnosis for binge eating disorder requires frequent binges at least once a week for three months. It must also be associated with first eating more rapidly than usual, secondly eating until uncomfortably full, and thirdly eating large amount of food when not feeling hungry or, or eating alone because one feels embarrassed. Lastly, feeling dissatisfied with oneself feeling depressed or very guilty afterwards is also very common with pe in people with binge eating disorder. As you can see, although the term eating is in the name, eating disorders are about more than just food. They are complex mental health conditions that often require the intervention of medical and psychological experts to alter their course. In severe cases, eating disorders can cause serious health con consequences and may even result in death if left untreated. While I'm glad to have covered the three most common eating disorders here, there are other disordered eating conditions that are worth checking out on the American Psychiatry Association website, so do feel free to head over there to learn more about it. There are cases of co-occurring disorder. How about co-occurring for eating disorder? It's important that those struggling with multiple disorders know that they are not alone and they should pursue treatment that addresses all their conditions. 97% of people hospitalized for an eating disorder have a co-occurring health condition such as substance abuse, trauma, obesity, as well as depression and anxiety, and also obsessive-compulsive disorder. In a study of women with eating disorders done in the US, reported that 94% of their participants had a co-occurring mood disorder and 92% of those in a sample were struggling with a depressive disorder. We also see that binge eating disorder patients with a co-occurring psychiatric condition had significantly higher levels of current eating disorder pathology, meaning their current eating disorder behaviors are elevated. They also have more negative affect, which shows, which in turn becomes more negative moods and ultimately leads into depression. They also had much lower self-esteem. This is very important to highlight because self-esteem determines how much one believes in their ability to recover properly. Lastly, there is also an elevated risk for obsessive-compulsive disorder among anorexia and bulimia nervosa patients. I know you have been through a rough eating disorder journey in the past as you have briefly talked to me about it. Can you tell us how did it happen and what triggered it? I've always been someone who struggled with the worst self-esteem, thinking that I must be cursed to have no confidence while picking parts of myself I wish I could change. 
more so. As a girl in this impossibly demanding society, body image was no surprise of my biggest insecurities. During my teenage years, this poor self-esteem escalated in a lot of poor eating and body image issues as well as depression and anxiety. In terms of eating disorders, I had struggled with anorexia, which includes restrictive eating and over-exercising, as well as body dysmorphia and bouts of binging and purging. It began when I was exposed to both academically and athletically competitive environments during my teenage years. So academically competitive as in I was um, part of a Chinese uh, school which was very um, a lot of emphasis on grades and also high expectations on how well we do in terms of our studies. Athletically was because I was practicing as a gymnast at that time. It all started off innocent enough when I was 13 years old, wanting to eat healthier and to exercise more regularly, all of it being good to a certain extent. But a year had passed and I managed to cut off most junk foods and kept up with a regular workout routine. However, as time went by, off-limiting junk food snowballed into skipping meals and regular workout routines turned into obsessive rituals. Even more so, I was blindly consuming misleading online information and social media standards. I remember very clearly, sites like Tumblr and Instagram had been celebrating features like die gaps. It was also when the fitness trends on YouTube just started getting into its spotlight. I used to think that as long as I was thin as these people online, I would finally be happy and things would be easier. Little did I know, I could barely function and was worrying everyone around me at my lowest weight. By mid-2015, when I was 17 years old, I was probably living off a meal's worth of food a day while excessively exercising most days of the week. At the same time, I was coping with my studies and other extracurricular in a competitive academic environment. Despite having a hard time keeping myself conscious, I failed to realize how much of a wreck my physical and mental health was at the time. And although I was at a dangerous, dangerously low weight, I still wanted to lose more weight. I became severely underweight during my high school senior year, where I struggled to stay focused and to simply even just stay awake in simple daily tasks. I felt freezing cold all the time, yet I was still hesitant to confront my disordered behaviors as I feared gaining weight and losing control. There had been extreme anxiety around food and restlessness if I failed to complete my ritualized workout routines. I isolated myself from people around me purely in the name of maintaining those behaviors, which in turn destroyed all my close relationships and further detrimented my mental health. I guess the question now would be how I managed to overcome them when in such a poor health at a young age, with little to no awareness about the disorder. But I would say everything starts with a wake-up call. So after my senior year exams in high school, I physically and mentally collapsed with fevers, rashes, gastric issues, and my family was falling apart due to arguments about my behaviors. Apart from my non-existent health, I had also felt extreme guilt and I just really wanted to fix the situation. Thankfully, I was giving a given a fresh start upon enrolling into college with a less academically demanding environment and school was also closer to home. Plus, I was actually learning subjects that I enjoyed. At the time, I had also pressed pause on my gymnastics pursuit. 
being in a new environment with a new mindset of wanting to get better also opened up to better friendships. I was lucky to have encountered a good support system, my college friends, during the beginning phase of my recovery. I decided to be open about my struggles because people were always asking me uh, why I was so thin and if I was okay. Thankfully, they were really supportive and it was a breath of fresh air after isolating myself in my disordered behaviours for so long. And it also took me some time to digest that people do actually care for you if you allow them to. Apart from building a good social circle, I was also trying to educate myself more about my condition and also learn more about the human mind as a whole. I took an elective in psychology during college and also did a lot of self-studying about eating disorders, proper nutrition as well as human physiology. This was really important because it helped me understand many of the symptoms that I encountered during the recovery, many of which can be quite unpleasant and even painful. Ultimately, it taught me that our minds and our bodies are actually working so hard just to keep us alive. Eating disorder is still a taboo topic among many. Of course, I can understand that there might be tough challenges that you face to overcome it. Firstly, of course, it was the anxiety I had around food and exercise, obviously. During the start of my recovery, I was still partially in the denial of how little food I was eating and how much I was exercising. I really needed to confront myself regularly. There were times when I felt like I was quote-unquote losing control and discipline because I was eating more than I thought I should, which tempted me to engage in purging behaviors as well. Every meal was a struggle. I was always drawn to engage in secretive behaviors in which I would shy away from family meals or to hide food. In terms of exercise, there was also a lot of secretive behaviors in which I would actually do jumping jacks in the bathroom so that no one would know that I was exercising for the fourth time in the day. A lot of anxiety and fear of loss of control had actually risen up, but I really had to put a stop to all those behavior behaviors. That's why it's really important to regularly remind yourself, whether it's a good, whether it's a reminder on your phone. That's all for the greater good. Secondly, of course, the weight gain was very challenging. Most days during recovery felt heavy, both mentally and physically. It also felt like it also felt very anxiety-provoking when clothes don't feel like they used to. Something to note is that I did overshoot my weight, meaning that I did gain more weight than I started off with. One reason is that because your metabolism has adapted to the low amount of food that you've been eating. Another reason is that it's a very necessary process, especially for women to regain their menstrual cycle, in, my, in which my case, I had lost my period for a good four years. Though the weight gain sounded very intimidating, it did eventually plateau, meaning that it, didn't, it doesn't keep gaining, and this is because your body relearns to adapt to more calories as well. And at that time, it's important to know that the weight includes the fact that your bones, or organs, muscles are repairing as you're starting to properly feel yourself again. The third thing, following the weight gain would inevitably be body shaming. So body shaming is a tricky one. When I was underweight, people would comment on me being too thin. But once I've gained some weight back, even though it wasn't probably a lot at the beginning, 
they will start saying things like, Oh, how come you gain so much weight? Did you start eating more? Did you start becoming more lazier? Now, one thing to disclaim is that you really need to prepare yourself for these comments and to expect that those comments will come because you can't stop people from giving your remarks. Secondly, know that they're judging you based on what they've seen before, which is an unhealthy version of you, and it's actually a very biased and distorted comparison to make. Lastly, it's also good to acknowledge that this discomfort that you feel when people make those comments is because um, you're still tying your worth to the size of your body. The more uncomfortable you feel um, in regards to these comments, the more of this aspect of recovery that you'll need to be working on. The last one, tying everything together, is the challenges in fixing relationships. I had mentioned before that many of my relationships had been negatively affected, especially with my family. My siblings were affected as a result of this. They even had to go through some of their own personal mental health issues as well. It took us a good 2-3 years, but fortunately we learned to reconcile with each other. With my mom, she was also going through some health issues at the time, so I guess you can see that everything was kind of a chaos. Doing that all while I was recovering was really not easy. It's challenging mentally, especially when you're dealing with your own internal battles. Hence, if you're going through similar things, I encourage you to find little spaces within the days to just show yourself some grace and compassion. Um, this will help lighten up the weight when worldly burdens feel too heavy. Janessa, you are a very strong woman. This I can agree. You are very strong in terms that you are able to beat eating disorder. Can you share some tips on how you overcome your eating disorder? Let's start off for all of you who is currently struggling in currently in a journey of overcoming some sort of mental health struggle. I truly empathize with you, no matter which part of the journey you're at. Even if you're someone who's yet to start your recovery, or you're someone who has already recovered, I'm sure you'll find a few things here helpful. First, I would want you to take things one step at a time. Not even one day at a time, but one meal, one thought, one action at a time. That's the only way you can move forward without dealing with the overwhelming expectations of full recovery. For example, if you're someone who's struggling with anxiety around food, I would suggest you to make your next meal an opportunity to challenge those eating disorder thoughts. Whether you're struggling with restricting or binging, really just slow down and mindfully savor each bite and every taste. If you're someone struggling with taking breaks from exercising, I suppose you're also someone who needs to prioritize rest but feels restless doing so. Do try to find activities that you've once enjoyed in the past to replace your time exercising. As eating disorders lead you to lose so much of yourself, replacing the time you engage with disordered behaviors with hobbies that you used to enjoy. This really helps find your way back to your old self again. Secondly, I would like you to acknowledge that relapse will be part of the journey. It's unavoidable and it's not a sign of failure. Instead, I would say it's a sign of strength. 
see as an op- opportunity for you to bounce back and after a while you'll get really good at it as time goes by you'll be a pro at managing your relapse at tackling that beast in your mind even though i consider myself as fully recovered today i still slip up disordered thoughts still live in my mind but i've gotten good at distinguishing what's rational and what isn't and then decide the next the next action i should take that's best for me at that given moment even if i don't i show myself grace and know that it's okay not to be perfect the third takeaway and this is really the core of it is to find a reason for your recovery and to stay firm on it i've mentioned before keeping reminders really helped when i was recovering a big reason was wanting to mend the lives of those who were affected by me while that was my anchor i had also wished to be healthy enough to be able to experience friendships and the aspirations i used to dream of before i was sick ultimately the reason should be about you being able to live your aspirations and dreams i'm sure all of you had an inner child inside there wanting to live so badly whatever dream that you used to have So keep that reason close to your heart. You'll need a healthy body and healthy mind to execute it. Believe that you can because it has happened for me and it is still happening. The last one, I really encourage you to seek professional help if you can. Although I must disclaim that I did not seek professional help in my time and that was due to the lack of understanding and resources available. Nowadays, nowadays it's really easy to get help You may even be able to get help in an affordable and accessible way. If not, feel free to reach out to me and I'll be happy to assist you in getting some resources or to give you some more detailed words of advice. All right. Now for all of you caregivers out there, friends and families of those affected, I truly appreciate the patience and support you've been providing. I personally have stood in the shoes of a caregiver myself. So I do understand the heartache that you guys go through yourselves. First, I want you to know that it's okay to feel angry and disappointed. We're all human after all. Second, taking care of someone and more so someone unwell is not an easy job. Hence, do prioritize your own well-being before you can even provide for others. I promise it does both parties wonders and you'll be able to support them with better clarity and has and headspace as well. Thanks, thanks Janessa for the wonderful information sharing. I really agree with Janessa about how the internet have a great influence on people, especially teenagers. There is no filter on it. Influencers take good photos of themselves and put online. They set these so-called standards that pressure normal people like us to look great and be on par with this standard. It isn't fair, you know. We have to know that before they shoot these photos, there are makeup artists, hairstylists behind the scene that they don't show. You know what it is? All we see is these finished photos. What about the things in between to get these perfect photos? A lot of younger girls, especially, get influenced or pressure to be picture perfect. 